Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. Four! Breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome back to the second of our two big Friday editions of the show today. I'm Ron. Noah's still here. Yo. If Listen, if you're hearing this episode first, just press pause, jump over to the first episode of the show today, which is number 322, and we'll see you in a bit. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be sitting down with two former officials from the Trump administration, the former chief of staff to the DOD and special assistant to President Trump. That's Cash Patel, one of our great friends, and we'll be catching up with the former assistant trade secretary during the Trump administration, Monica Crowley as well. So listen, when you talk about those two, Elise Stefanik, Ambassador Grinnell, and Congresswoman Sparts, we put together probably the most comprehensive guest list you'll find anywhere in politics this week. And uh, guess what? We'll probably do it again on Tuesday. So you're welcome. And let's get right into this. The RNC got involved with the... I guess following the results of the New Hampshire primary where everyone from Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden to the conservative press and the liberal media all know it in their hearts that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. There is no stopping him now. There is no path for anyone else, especially Nikki Haley, who stays in the race, to figure out how to get the delegates needed to become the GOP nominee outside of death or prison for Donald Trump, which is things we don't like to talk about, but I guess... If the money talks, Nikki Haley's bullshit is going to continue to walk. I want to play two clips back-to-back right now. It was pretty funny the way they broke on Fox News. These clips are literally within an hour of each other and how fast the news narrative changed after Ronald McDaniel came out and spoke on Nikki Haley's continued, I guess, primary ship. Let's check it out. Breaking moments ago, the Republican National Committee is considering declaring former President Trump the party's presumptive 2024 nominee. Fox News has just gotten a hold of a copy of this proposed resolution. It has not been approved. And of course, Nikki Haley is still in the race. She is campaigning throughout the weekend in South Carolina. She lost Iowa and she lost New Hampshire, coming in third in Iowa and second in New Hampshire, about an 11-point spread, a decisive win by the former president. Um, But the RNC, the question is, are they rushing? So this just breaking moments ago. Nikki Haley's campaign now responding to word that the Republican National Committee is debating, declaring former President Trump the party's presumptive nominee at this point. The Haley campaign telling Fox, quote, who cares what the RNC says? We will let millions of Republican voters across the country decide who the party's nominee, not a bunch of Washington insiders. That is a reaction to the breaking news from the RNC that we talked about. Just Okay. <laughs> let's, let's let's deconstruct this a little bit. I bet if I bet if they were declaring her the presumptive uh, winner, then she would be gladly oh, accepted. Fantastic. So here's the thing: the funny thing is with the RNC and Ron McDaniel, and, and listen, they're not terrible people; they're just terrible at their job. When this news first started breaking yesterday, I immediately texted one of the people that works with Ron McDaniel, and she immediately texted me back and told me. What was going on? She sent me like a screenshot of the, you know, proposed draft that they were looking to put out and said, you know, don't count your chickens before they hatch. So I see all these people posting about it. I kind of just held my breath and reluctantly didn't post. Well, as you could tell, that was Martha McGowan on both ends of those breaking news clips. Like I said, they were about 28 minutes apart from each other. And that's how fast the narrative changed. Secondly, I do kind of want to fact check one thing they said uh, coming off of some of Nikki Haley's commentary. 
Nikki Haley will never have millions of voters, period. She won't even get a couple million voters in this primary, especially if she's out after South Carolina, at which point she won't even have one million people that voted for her, and that'll be within four states. So it, it was just kind of interesting to see. And, you know, going back to what I said about the RNC, they're not horrible people. They're just horrible at their job. This is what happens when you don't, like, go all in to support the people who are carrying your profession, your party, your movement. And I guess the optics look so bad after New Hampshire, which basically paved the path for Donald Trump to walk to the nomination, like we've said here from day one, that they felt pressure from either donors or people within, I guess, the apparatus to get involved in a more proactive manner. So what happens when you have to take a test and then go into the classroom not studying for it? You panic. And they're like, um, let's see. Well, he's got a clear path, even though there's still like 48 states left. And even though both of his wins were historic, we could we could just say he's the presumptive nominee. We could just completely circumvent the process and disenfranchise all of the voters and all the rest of the states and probably have now low voter turnout because we are going to assume before we give him the nomination that he's already won it several months in advance. I couldn't think of anything worse optically. It's like how Joe Biden's trying to, and you know, the DOJ's trying to pull him off ballots and disenfranchise. This is like reverse of that. And when I saw the way that this kind of unfolded, I knew that Donald Trump would weigh in on this pretty quickly. And, and believe it or not, he did. You want to be able to do this the right way. Donald Trump, with his nice warm commentary on Ron DeSantis after he got out of the race, even though Ron DeSantis said not so nice things about President Trump and his pseudo endorsement of him. And combine that with all the shit he's talked about him online for the last couple of days and the way all the DeSantis former campaign staffers now are doing the same thing. It's like Donald Trump got Ron DeSantis out, took his endorsement. He should keep that high road and run with it. All the other stuff, don't even listen to it because he's a non-contender. You make him relevant by acknowledging his existence. Same thing's going to happen with Nikki Haley. Shortly after this news broke, Donald Trump put out a statement on Truth Social. He sounded appreciative. I'm going to read it right now. I guess I spoiled it for everybody. While I greatly appreciate the Republican National Committee, RNC, wanting to make me their presumptive nominee, all caps, and while they have far more votes than necessary to do it, I feel for the sake of, all caps again, party unity, that they should not go forward with this plan, and that I should do it the, quotes, old-fashioned way, and that we finish the process, all caps, at the ballot box. Thank you to the RNC for the respect and devotion you have shown me. Trump 2024. What do you think about that, Noah? Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, it keeps it it keeps it uh, even keeled and above board that way. They are uh, doing things the wrong way in regards to having Nikki Haley stay in this race. And, you know, I think the RNC overreacted and they've walked it back a little bit. And what can you do? You, you have to be able to take the high road as Donald Trump's doing here. He doesn't want to disenfranchise all those voters. He doesn't want to have to worry about... You know, why campaign and waste money in states where you're just expecting everybody to vote for you because the RNC says you're the presumptive nominee? It's it's very interesting to see the way that, uh, you know, a lot of people looked at this, and we know how the Biden regime looked at it because Peter Ducey was outside the White House two nights ago talking about some chatter that's coming out of the Biden White House regarding Donald Trump. Let's hear it. And remarkably, just as you were coming to us, his team in Wilmington, the campaign team, put out a statement it has nothing to do with his successful 
write-in campaign in New Hampshire, uh, his first win this cycle. Instead, it's just about Trump. The, the campaign manager says, tonight's results confirm Donald Trump has all but locked up the GOP nomination and the election-denying anti-freedom MAGA movement has completed its takeover of the Republican Party. Yes, we have. <laughs> it's so funny. You want to know what's weird? Joe Biden opened up a campaign event the other day. I forget what state he was in, but he announced himself as the president of the United States, and then he said he was here to support the real governor of the state that he was in, the guy who lost the last election and is not the governor. So, so you know, Joe Biden could go out and deny elections, and they'll just blame it on him being senile. But if Donald Trump says rigged and stolen, it's like, the lady who dropped down to her knees and screamed no on inauguration day <laughs> back in 2016. And then that's just kind of the way it is. You know, I, I touched on Rana getting, uh, trying to get ahead of this thing. Uh, believe it or not, I thought she did a pretty good job of for the first time in a long time, putting the toothpaste back in the tube. Let's hear her talk about Nikki Haley and her weird candidacy on Fox news yesterday. Looking at the math and the path going forward. And I don't see it for Nikki Haley. I think she's run a great campaign but I do think there is a message that's coming out from the voters, which is very clear. We need to unite around our eventual nominee, which is gonna be Donald Trump, and we need to make sure we beat Joe Biden. It is 10 months away till the November election, and we can't wait any longer to put our foot on the gas, to beat the worst president, to beat a president that's kept our borders open, allowed fentanyl to pour through, allowed inflation to, to go rampant. He is hurting the American people, and we need to do everything we can to unite so that we can defeat him. And remember, I, I've already hypothesized that following a actual clear path, probably after Super Tuesday, where it's definitive that Donald Trump has the delegates needed to become the actual nominee for the Republican Party, his team needs to hijack the RNC. They literally do. And it sounds like based on some of the actions we've seen at Ronald McDaniel and the rest of the organization over the course of this week, they probably did put them on notice. Remember, Joe Biden's got three things to campaign on. MAGA Republicans are the end of the republic. Donald Trump is the ender of all abortions and Bidenomics. Mm. Now, when you look at everything that's going on in this country right now and what's wrong with the world, you can all spiderweb them back to Joe Biden and his administration having their hands in why everything's so fucked up. If that's all they got, and you're telling me they're running up against the entirety of the Trump movement, I'm not saying that Donald Trump's going to win the biggest electoral landslide in the history of our country, but... He's not going to do bad. No, he sure isn't. <laughs> and, and that's what the, the important factor is to see here. But you know, And it, it's scary, though, because as that becomes more of a certainty, I worry, and I've said this a hundred times now, I worry about what they'll stoop to. Well, they, they seem to be getting low. You know, we're going to talk about it in our next news segment, the battle over border security and uh, the possibility of there not being any legislation passed off of the agreement that, you know, the Langford, Schumer, bullshit, whatever deal. But I just saw it come across the wire. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has issued a statement saying that the Texas National Guard has been briefed and is fully prepared for conflict, which at some point could be armed against federal authorities. So who knows at this point? It's just that, you know, when you look at the way that this administration, this regime has conducted itself and how they blatantly take no responsibility for, this is the same group that gave themselves A pluses and said they wouldn't change a thing from the Afghan withdrawal. And that's real. <laughs> that, that's real. 
13 dead servicemen and women and $90 billion in equipment left. It took me a second to have that register as not a joke. You know, if I looked across the table right now and I saw, like, blood (laughs) dripping down from your eye socket. (laughs) Bleeding tears. Bleeding tears, Mr. Bond. J.D. Vance jumped on with Fox News yesterday. He was talking about Nikki Haley and the non-factor she is. Let's check him out. This actually drives home, Martha, one of the fundamental problems with Nikki Haley's campaign. Does she think that falsely accusing Donald Trump of being impaired in some way is actually going to help elect her president? Of course it's not. What it's going to do is prolong this primary campaign longer than it needs to. It's going to waste money that could be going to be defeating Joe Biden and helping Senate Republicans across the country. What she's doing is giving the Democrats talking points because she's too proud to admit that her campaign has failed and voters have rejected her. That's not a recipe for Republican success. That's a recipe for Nikki Haley's ego, and we don't need any of it. Oh, we sure don't. Nope. I love J.D. Vance. And, you know, I like that he's a big, strong senator from Ohio right now. I think he's in a great spot that we need him. If if Donald Trump tapped him to do something else, though, remember, he's a Marine— I would not be mad about it. Would you? No, I think he'd be good. There's just a lot of great candidates for some of the things, all the deficiencies we have in our federal government right now. And I mean, there, there's so many of them that are strong, potentially being in the next administration. Uh, I, I think it's a good thing for America first. You know, that's one of the big points that he made though. He talked about Nikki Haley making fun of Donald Trump for a name slip or something here. Just to be very clear. And I know everyone who's at least listening to this, podcast outside of our opposition research understands that when Donald Trump messes up a name, it's not the same thing as what Joe Biden does. No, no. He, him, him having a flub with a name isn't a flub of an entire speech or an entire 70% of a sentence that he puts out. (laughs) Did you hear any of the bangers from Joe Biden this week? Oh my God. I've saved them for you. (laughs) Let's just now, listen, if Donald Trump's at an event and he's talking about January 6th and, and the amount of, you know, National Guard that Donald Trump wanted to give Nancy Pelosi, and instead of saying Nancy Pelosi, he says Nikki Haley, it's a flub. It's not a sign of mental decline. Yeah. At, where at the same time, Joe Biden, who was out on the ground in Wisconsin this week, did this. I'll teach Donald Trump an, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. What was he trying to say? I don't know, but he don't was... mess with Middle America unless you want to get the benefit. Well, let's see if this one's uh, any better. What? The beer brewed here. <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer. It is fine. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why. <laughs> is he saying the Great Lakes are made of beer? Because there might be some people that want to move. That's the president of the United States. Yeah. I mean, I understand an occasional flub, but this guy. It's every time he opens his mouth. Every time he opens his mouth and his 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 mental acuity, just based on watching him move and ambulate around the room, like he's, like you put a walker in front of him, it would look more realistic. And it's it's become less bad, more sad. A lot more sad. Yeah, it's sad. But I don't feel bad for him because here's the deal. You've got the the entirety of his family that is propping him up to do this shit. Everyone from his dirtbag son to his bitch wife. And hmm. th- there's a lot of people who wanted Joe Biden out and to gracefully say, you know, we're going to turn the mantle of radical climatism and DEI over to the next viable candidate. And once they were able to get into this Oval Office, one that eluded Joe Biden for 40 years, remember, 
He got knocked off the campaign trail twice for plagiarism. He just wasn't considered a viable candidate in other races that he ran. And now we've got him in the White House at the worst possible point of his life to where people snap their fingers and yell at him and tell him what to do. And he goes out there and he fucking does it. And it's so dangerous for the rest of the world. But it's something that we got to cover now for at least the next nine months. Last clip I got before we're jumping in with Cash Patel. Greg Stubbe was on Fox and Friends this morning talking about this race and Donald Trump was here. Good one. Yeah, I mean, look, the the, the Republican Party is all behind uh, Donald Trump. It's clear he crushed it in Iowa. He won the most votes of any primary voter on the R side or the D side in New Hampshire. And he's leading Nikki Haley in South Carolina uh, by 30 points. Uh, there, there's no just like that donor said, there's no path for her. Uh, Ron DeSantis got out. Uh, Tim Scott got out long before because he saw that there wasn't a path for him. It's time for the Republican Party to unite behind Donald Trump as our nominee and go into November fighting against Joe Biden. Can't put it any clearer than that. Mm -mm. And when you look at the hundreds of endorsements from the highest level of government, Congress, you know, one that we missed last week, I had the clip save, it just didn't work it into the show. You know, Lion Ted Cruz is back, not untruth-telling Lion Ted Cruz, Lion Face Ted Cruz is back. He did Ooh. a formal endorsement of Donald, Donald Trump on Boomer Sweat Show and Hannity Show. And uh, we're going to hear a fiery but mostly peaceful Texas Senator Cruz in our next news segment. But before we get to any of that, we're jumping in with Cash Patel right now and checking in with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. Joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the former chief of staff to the DOD, federal prosecutor, Special Assistant to President Trump, one of our great friends. Mr. Cash Patel, welcome back to the show. It's always good to be back on Elk for Breakfast, especially on a Friday. I forgot. I know the weekend is coming. Elk for Breakfast segment. Yes, the paths will be flowing in just a few hours. <laughs> I'd already be flowing already. But uh, Cash... Not yet. I'm, in, I'm on Vegas time. It's a little early for me. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Vegas, we, we let off in our first new segment of the show today. Uh, talking about the big Trump win in New Hampshire. He obviously made some commentary during his victory speech about you know heading out and, and collecting his delegates for the Nevada caucus next week. And uh, just so happens that you're on the ground there and are probably going to be with 45 and uh, doing some work as they're looking to make this an even wider margin of victory than it needs to be at this point. But uh, are you getting excited for the big guy to be out there? It's always exciting to have President Trump um, in your home state, especially out here in Nevada, the key to the West. We got to have President Trump's back out here and the citizens in this state and next door over in Arizona uh, want a national security agenda and a sealed border that only President Trump can deliver. So we're excited. We're working through the uh, scam that is the uh, Nevada primary versus the Nevada caucus. The geniuses in Reno have left the primary on the books, even though they reward no delegates and President Trump is not on that ballot. 
but of course Nikki Haley is. So the mainstream media on February 6th will give her the quote unquote primary win, even though it is completely meaningless, except for disinformation campaign. We are out here for President Trump. Our caucus is February 8th. He's coming in tomorrow. It's going to be great. We're at a baseball stadium. We're going to have a fun rally. We're going to raise awareness for the caucus. And we're going to encourage people in Nevadans to go out to the caucus on February 8th because that's the only thing that matters out here. It's the absolute facts. And, uh, yeah, that should be a pretty big and well-attended rally at the Field of Dreams, as the campaign has pointed <laughs> out. It's going to be a good time. Listen, Cash, you know, we talked about the primary and the caucus real quick. Uh, we saw historic wins in Iowa and New Hampshire. One of the things that's confusing a lot of people, even ones who are kind of MAGA-shy, like Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Ronald McDaniel, who runs the RNC, why is Nikki, <laughs> why is Nikki Haley still in this race? What What is going on here? Like, we all know that you guys... In, in some way, shape, or form, know each other from all your time spent in D.C. and up on Capitol Hill. It's not like she's a stranger to, you know, the way the political system works in the United States. She definitely wasn't a stranger during the Trump administration. She served as the former ambassador to the U.N. after her governorship in South Carolina. But here we are seeing her making, you know, just some of the most ridiculous talking points from the lectern and then doubling down on it, saying how she's the younger, more female, more <laughs> sane alternative to Donald Trump the next day on Fox News. How are you looking at this shaping up, and what do you really think the uh, story is behind it all. She is the epitome of a DC politician who will lie to your face in the American public just to advance her political career. And that's exactly what she's doing now, backed by rhino establishment class mega donors who hate President Trump because he destroyed their swamp. He destroyed and exposed their corruption. And he is holding people in government accountable. And they are furious. And Nikki Haley is the next anointed head the female version of Paul Ryan to try and save, quote unquote, uh, the country from Donald Trump. They will fail because their policies are failing. Their policies have failed this country for decades. And Donald Trump put together a more cohesive national security and economic plan than any presidential candidate in modern history. And he implemented it when he was president. And Nikki Haley, of course, said, I'll never run against Donald Trump. And I would love to work in a future administration. Fast forward a few years. And what is she doing? owned by the defense industrial complex where she sits on the board and other rhino establishment goons, um, people on Epstein Island and company. Mm. And all she cares about is riding the money wave. And it's that money's not going to run out. And here's what president Trump said. And I kind of agree with him. President Trump's the dominant candidate. Nikki Haley can do whatever she wants. I agree with you that it would be good if they dropped out and we got all the money behind president Trump, but um, I don't think her ego will let her. Yeah, it's wild to see the way that this is kind of shaped up. And uh, listen, all the polls are indicating that Donald Trump is up between anywhere of 30 to 60 points in South Carolina, which is going to be the next primary after the Nevada caucus. And that's less than a month from now. And I mean, I don't know how you make it politically <laughs> after you get destroyed that bad. You've got the entirety of the state, every single uh, member of the House of Representatives except one. You've got both senators, one which she appointed, all behind <laughs> President Trump. Obviously, the governor, McMaster, is a huge supporter and great friend of President Trump's. And then you have all the state and, uh, you know, people in the in the state house and Senate who have endorsed uh, the 45th president as well. It seems like Nikki Haley's just like kind of like you said, Pied Pipering for the dollars. And, you know, it, I guess it's worked out for people like Hillary Clinton and things of that nature. But when you look at it at the end of the day, people need to understand 
America First is a movement. Like, Donald Trump is the figurehead. He is the leader of that movement. But in a different time, it's like that movement will anoint another person to pick up the mantle and move on for MAGA. We, we all hope that after, you know, Donald Trump's next term in office, MAGA doesn't go away. We hope that, you know, the, mm. the movement produces another leader like him. I don't think there'll ever be one that could replace him. But, you know, in, in the same mold. And, and at this point, Nikki Haley, based off all the receipts, like you said, working in the administration, saying she'll never run against them, can, you know, calling herself a principled leader and then stabbing him in the back so viciously, it's not like she'd ever have a chance to, you know, be able to have the keys to MAGA and, and, and drive the machine herself in the future. She never will. And here's the only thing you need to know about that. Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney have now donated <laughs> to the Nikki Haley for presidential campaign. True story. They are not the MAGA movement. Donald Trump has reshaped the Republican Party and made it bigger than ever. That's why more people voted in the New Hampshire primary for Donald Trump than any presidential candidate ever. The party is growing because of Donald Trump. We are shrinking the losers out of the party, i.e. Kinsinger, Cheney, Paul Ryan, um, and of course, Nikki Haley. And they're trying to get it back. And they've got a lot of money behind them. But the difference is that Donald Trump has got a lot of support of the American people because they are in love with his ideas and his care to protect our nation and seal our border and end the forever wars and do a million other things that he did during his first administration. They don't have to bet. They'd have to bet a lot of money, a lot of their future, a lot of their children's future on Nikki Haley. There is no betting with Donald Trump. You know what you're getting. Yep. America first. And that's what people want. Yeah, America first, secure borders, robust economy, peace through strength. No bullshit. That's kind of, you know, what, what he yeah. said during the course of it. And listen, out of all these empty suits that went and ran their races, even the ones that are on the Trump train right now, there wasn't a single person there that was going to walk into North Korea that was going to touch MBS mm -hmm. at a public event and give them the little, you know, loving on the shoulder. Someone that was going to go and give Vladimir Putin the classic Donald Trump shake where he goes for it. Looks like the undershake, but then it's the pulling and the big shake letting him know that he's the man that's in charge. I don't see any of those people. I see a lot of people with like Hillary Clinton type reset buttons and bowing mm -hmm. to President Xi and not getting to eat dinner in the Forbidden City and feed the fish. It's just <laughs> nobody on there that ran in this race had the ability, in my opinion, to be able to do those things. But when you talk about some of the ones who have gotten out and, and are now on board and are looking to get Donald Trump back in the White House next year, like South Carolina Senator Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy, is it good to see this party unification and the energy that they're bringing to the campaign trail now? Look, it's like President Trump said after the uh, Iowa caucus where some of these folks started coming over. You know, we want to unify the Republican movement behind Donald Trump. And so these folks coming over at, at politically, I think, is a good thing. They have followers. They have votes. They have a strong voice. And now they are united behind one candidate in Donald J. Trump. And I think that's good for the Republican Party. I think that's good for the America First movement. And as President Trump called for, everybody else should follow suit. But, you know, Nikki Haley seems to be the one outlier out there who thinks she's going to topple the MAGA regime. Um, and actually, if you probably had an honest conversation with her, which is probably difficult to have, um, <laughs> she probably knows she's going to lose. But she's bought and paid for by the very corrupt government gangsters and deep state swamp monsters that Donald Trump has exposed. She is owned by the defense industrial complex and the lobbyists on K Street. And she is the typical politician that we have sent to D.C. for decades who has failed America. And that's the difference between her and Donald Trump. And you just got to look at the polls. You got to look at the voter turnout. And listen, if Nikki Haley showed up in my home state in Nevada here, I don't think she could fill, fill the dugout at the Field of Dreams. <laughs> Donald Trump's going to fill two of those stadiums. 
And that's the difference. It certainly is. Cash, we do want to touch with you on some of the geopolitical items affecting the country right now. You are an expert in the field, both in you know counterterrorism and, and all things keeping us safe. Listen, the proxy war with Iran is continuing to heat up. It doesn't look like Israel mm-hmm. is, is willing to take its foot off the gas. We all know there's a bad relationship between everybody that formerly worked in the Obama administration and Bibi Netanyahu. They literally tried to perform a color revolution in Israel back when Barack Obama was president. You could tell by the way people like Jake Sullivan and John Kirby go around and have their interactions with the prime minister of Israel. But but the big story here is that you know we are fighting a hot war with entities that are tied directly to the nation of Iran, all while Joe Joe Biden has refilled their coffers with money. Uh, They've been allowed to come back to the international commerce space. And it seems Uh like they're stronger than even before when Donald Trump took the White House back in 2016. So as you see this thing shaking up, is is it your hope that this doesn't escalate any further? Do you think that these guys are just going to continue to fall over themselves because they have no foreign policy whatsoever? Well, it is my hope, but hope's not a national security policy mission set that you can carry out and win for the American people on. And Congress can't do much without a commander-in-chief who actually understands how to defend this country, protect our border, and take out the world's largest state sponsor of terror. What these guys have done, Sullivan, Biden, and Blinken, is destroy American security on the global stage, provide the largest state sponsor of terror in Iran with $6 billion, allowed United States military installation and our men and women in uniform to be attacked by missiles and bombs 140 times, kill two Navy special warfare operators in a Red Sea operation that would never have been authorized because the landscape and the ground conditions were not suitable for such an for such an operation. And now we have blood lost at the result of this administration's foolishness because they think they have a secretary of defense who can safeguard this country from the bedside table of his hospital. Right. And that is just not how you conduct national security. We didn't do that in the Trump administration. We labeled terrorists terrorists, and we took them out. We brought hostages home. And as you said, Donald Trump met and with world leaders, and they took his phone calls, and they took his meetings because President Trump had to watch on the world stage to say, if you don't meet with us and if you don't stop the fighting and the killing, we, the United States of America under the Trump administration, will make you pay for it in some way. And they knew that was a valid position from our commander in chief and people bent the knee and we didn't have wars and we wound out of wars and we were safe and we had a sealed border and we didn't have Chinese fentanyl killing our children and the drug traffickers were at bay in Mexico and so on. But these guys are doing armchair national security policy through fiat in the media and the New York times and CNN continues to print their fake news headlines that we are somehow now safer. Oh, it's the truth. You want to know what? You want to talk about people who knew Abdul. He knew. Abdul. He knew what was going to happen if he stepped out of line. (laughs) Again, we went 18 months into Afghanistan without one U.S. serviceman or woman killed. So It's just the way Donald Trump operated. It was at such a higher level than we're seeing with this administration. All the people that had zero experience but were low-level staffers during Barack Obama's time in office are now heads of agencies, heads of departments, and, and secretaries of the United States. The way the country has gone downhill is a perfect example of what happens when you do that. And uh, Mm -hmm. definitely something we're looking to flip, obviously, in November and get everyone back on the Trump train back up in D.C. in 2025. So, Cash, I think that's where we're going to leave it. We're going to live link, obviously, the Cash Foundation in the show description today. We always want to be able to help out you, who's the biggest hunter of government gangsters. We're also going to live link uh, (laughs) based apparel and all that other stuff you've got going on. But for anybody that wants to check you out, we know there's only one place we could find you. Where is it? Truth Social, baby, at Cash, at KSH, and uh, 
Friday afternoon out for breakfast. I might have to crack a PBR, but I still got a few hours to go. But gents, it's always good to be with the best podcast in the nation. I'm always honored to be your guest and keep cranking and crushing for the American people. We need solid voices here. Uh, we only need to be are able to do it when we get this guy on the show. This is the former chief of staff to the DOD, one of our great friends, Pabst enthusiast, Mr. Cash Patel. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of the weekend. Hey, have a great weekend, gents. Past few minutes, uh, Jake Sherman with Punchbowl News had this about a McConnell meeting with Republican senators. Senator McConnell told a closed uh, meeting of Senate Republicans um, today that the politics of the border has flipped and cast doubt on linking Ukraine and the border. It quotes us from saying, when we started this, the border united us and Ukraine divided us. The politics on this have changed, he told his GOP colleagues. He said he referred to Donald Trump as the nominee. We don't want to do anything to undermine him, and he wants to campaign and center it on immigration. So, quote, we're in a quandary. Now, his staff said he said something similar to that. Uh, we've asked some senators that were in the room. They didn't characterize it, but but you see what's happening here as this disconnect is coming and they realize the immigration issue. Okay, first of all, the multiverse is real. And if you told me that Mitch McConnell, first of all, I don't believe all that because he didn't say all that. Mm. So if you told me that Mitch McConnell's handlers, might have, hey, it might have been the guys from the Rizless podcast. <laughs> no, you should have heard their Tuesday edition of the show. It was 27 straight minutes of coping and seething over Ron DeSantis getting kicked out of the presidential primary and then tack on an additional 10 minutes of crying about how Donald Trump's not going to be an electable candidate because he's going to be convicted of stuff in court. <laughs> exactly. They suck so bad. Here's the deal. Mitch McConnell's handlers apparently told the Republican caucus in the Senate who were trying to hash out this agreement with Chuck Schumer. That is basically the preamble to Joe Biden's big amnesty legislation that, well, Apparently, Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. Going to be the nominee. So, he wants to campaign on the border, and I don't want to hurt him in doing so. <laughs> <laughs> Senator, are you okay? <laughs> you lock up again? He always locks up. And, and you know, when you look at the just the optics of that and, and how it could affect the election cycle moving forward, I'd say it's a big deal, you know, that people are starting to finally understand uh, what Donald Trump's all about. And, you know, they've had eight years to come under, I don't want to say attacks, but the way Donald Trump goes about doing things. And I'm pretty sure that every time he starts a true social post with Rhino Senator Mitch McConnell and his China-loving wife, Elaine all caps, Coco Chow, maybe you've heard of her. <laughs> and then he goes into whatever rat he's ratty about. Like, you don't want to give Mitch McConnell another stroke. So I, I think maybe, you know, listen, he's never going to be on board or on team. But if he just stays out of the way, that's more than enough for Donald Trump to do his thing. And if he's encouraging some of the Republicans who have a stronger voice in the caucus, let's just say, uh, you know, J.D. Vance, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Tommy Tuberville, uh, Josh Hawley, et cetera, even Mike Lee, who's been stomping on border security as well lately. And, uh, you know, it's so weird. We go from 2016, Mike Lee tries to throw the Republican National Convention into chaos and elect somebody outside of the delegate winner, which is Donald Trump, all the way to it being his friendship and relationship with Don Jr. that has Mike Lee probably on the precipice of MAGA right now. So, listen, we're already losing Mitt Romney if... 
The other guy in the state flips MAGA. I wouldn't hate it. How about you, Noah? Mm, no. Nah. Kamala Harris was a little bit more, I don't want to call it understandable, less than Joe Biden this week. And for someone who is not the border czar and could give two shits about, number one, the invasion at the southern border, number two, anybody listening to this podcast is trying to get ahead of what the same narrative that Joe Biden, Amy Klobuchar, Alejandro Mayorkas, John Kirby, and everyone else has been kind of slipping little zingers in there over the course of ever since about Christmas time. And it's what Joe Biden's legislative agenda is before he leaves office, hopefully in January of next year. Let's hear her. But there is anger on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, about an unsustainable border, what they're calling a crisis. Why can't this be accomplished during this administration? Well, so there is no question that our immigration system is broken. And so much so that we, as the first bill that we offered after our inauguration, was to fix the immigration system, which included what we must do to create a pathway for citizenship Mm -hmm. and to put the resources that are needed into the border. But sadly, people on the other side of the aisle have been playing politics with this issue. The solutions are at hand. And, you know, gone are the days, sadly, where a (laughs) President Bush or John McCain understood that we should have a bipartisan approach to fixing this problem, which is a longstanding problem. But what are those solutions? The solutions include putting resources at the border to do what we can to process people effectively and putting in place laws that actually allow for a meaningful, meaningful pathway to citizenship. And there it is. Meaningful. Mm -hmm. If you are an economic migrant and you illegally cross the border, and you have no justification, you could look it up on the, we've seen it on the DHS websites, and, and there's been a lot of podcasters and people in the media who, people have actually come on our show and cited the stipulations you need to claim asylum. You find that. Is, is committing a crime in the process of your asylum claim, is that part of it? That actually zero percents the chance of you ever being able to have a pathway to anything. And so does... Well, that's fake news, apparently. Wanting a better life is a, the answer to why are you here right now, which is what I love hearing from a lot of congressmen and senators and people who are on the ground right now reporting on this stuff. Allowing these people to have what they're calling a legal pathway is nothing short of amnesty. Yeah. And I don't remember which senator it was, but somebody went out on social media yesterday and said, oh, no, it was Andy Biggs, great guest of the show. He assumes that there is approximately 40 million illegals in this country right now after what Joe Biden did over the course of the last three years. And I think we're well over 15 million that have been allowed to come in here, including getaways since he took office. And that's just the way it is. Life will never be the same. I'm singing Tupac over here, and Noah doesn't even get it. (laughs) But you have to understand, they are going to try to keep pushing this, and as Donald Trump makes border security again the centerpiece of his re-election campaign, they are going to push back in every way, shape, or form that it was his cruel policies, Congress, and the MAGA constituents who vote these people up to Capitol Hill is the only reason why there's a border crisis, when we know that's just not the truth. The border was secure. 
There's 4 million people sitting in Mexico when Joe Biden took office. He executively ordered every single one of them to be allowed in within hours of him getting to the Oval Office. And they did. And they certainly did. And they brought all of their friends with them. So we did read a, a true social post earlier in the show. I think it was in our first edition of the podcast where Donald Trump referred to outgoing Utah Senator Mitt Romney by his, I guess, hotel name, Pierre Delecto, <laughs> much to George Santos's delight. Fun fact, Noah, the former New York congressman made it up to New Hampshire for the victory party. Oh, yeah? And was the talk of the town. Ooh. Gotta love George Santos. You want to know why Donald Trump took a big swing and landed it on Mitt Romney? I pulled the audio from one of the crap interviews he gave yesterday. Of course, he jumped on CNN to complain about this border deal that's falling apart. Let's hear it. Do you think this is what he wants, the issue, Donald Trump? This is what he's doing. Oh, I, I, think, I think the border is a very important issue for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and the fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is, uh, is really appalling. But the, but the reality is that, that uh, we have a crisis at the border. The American people are suffering as a result of uh, what's happening at the border. Uh, and someone running for president ought to try and get the, uh, you know, the problem solved as opposed to saying, hey, save that problem. Don't solve it. Uh, let me take credit for solving it later. I'll leave it at that. Mm. Pretty funny how Mitt Romney alluded to the fact that the border problem is not Joe Biden's fault. I thought that was kind of a heater. And then, you know, talking about comprehensive solutions to what's going on down there, I think what Donald Trump's offering up on the table, returning to Title 42 protocols, returning to remain in Mexico, enforcing the actual laws of the border, maybe even a immigration moratorium for a brief amount of time. Or not brief. Or very long. I mean, that's the only way we're going to recover is if we take a long break. And it would have to be, in order for you to come in as an immigrant, you'd have to be a great, great asset. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too. Which is actually what our immigration system was for a, a good portion of it. There was people that were benefits to society. They were doctors, lawyers, uh, surgeons, anything like that. Like people that were business people, entrepreneurs, stuff like that. But now it's just any anyone who shows up. And says they want a better life. Yeah. That's it. And, you know, it, it's not going to be the case. In addition to, as one of our favorites, Tom Homan always reminds everybody of, the largest deportation operation in the history of our country. And, you know, it's one of those things. Donald Trump put out a true social post this morning, and it basically ended with him addressing all of the illegals that have come in under Joe Biden. <laughs> Don't get comfortable because you won't be staying. <laughs> Jeez. You got to love it. I mean, it's it's going to be such a job. Like, And what we're going to see, like you thought the summer love was bad. Just wait until the, the migrant riots of 2025 or 2024. Because listen, we're already so over just capacity and anywhere to house these people, provide them with jobs, uh, medical care, education, places to They're sleeping out in the streets in Chicago, and then they're ticketing churches for allowing, like, tent cities to be set up, like, in and around places that they are offering, like, food and some comfort because you're not allowed to do that. Which is ironic because a, a church is actually a sanctuary. Yeah. Like, that's by definition. So maybe it's a sanctuary city, but a church being a sanctuary that's double negative, cancel each other out. They're no longer a sanctuary. It puts a hole in the sanctuary. <laughs> the multiverse is real. Yep. 
you know, one of the best pieces of audio I heard all this week was, you know, you get one side right there with Mitt Romney coming out and crying about Mitch McConnell saying like, well, I guess we're just going to get behind Donald Trump and let him stump on immigration. You had Ted Cruz come out very unhappy with it being worked in this supposed bipartisan immigration agreement. And he brought the fire and brimstone. Now that again, he's endorsed Donald Trump reharnessing the title of lion L I O N Cruz. Let's hear him. The Biden border crisis is an absolute humanitarian disaster and Democrats don't care. Last year, 853 migrants died crossing illegally into this country. Alejandro Mayorkas didn't even know how many had died because he didn't care. When I brought 19 senators down to the border, we saw a man who had drowned floating in the Rio Grande. Democrats don't care. Last year, thousands upon thousands of children were brutalized and sexually assaulted by human traffickers, and Democrats don't care. How come he didn't say Last year, thousands of women were sexually assaulted by human traffickers, and Democrats do not give a damn. Last year, more than 100,000 Americans died of drug overdoses from Chinese fentanyl flooding across the southern border, and Democrats do not give a damn. Now, you may say, oh, come on, that's harsh. They care. Come on, Ted. They care. Somewhere in their hearts, they care about all the people suffering and dying. Baloney. Because if they cared, they would stop it. Great, now I'm hungry. If you cared about the children being raped at the border, you would say no more. I haven't ate baloney in like when 20 Joe years. When Joe Biden really? came in, mm. we had the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years. He inherited success, and he deliberately broke it. Democrats want these open borders. And this bill, this mysterious bill, that is buried down in the basement of Chuck Schumer's office... All of you have a living as reporters. Ask yourself, why have you not read the text of the bill? There's a reason. As bad as we think the bill is, I promise you it's worse. The people pushing this deal knew. No, if the American people knew what was in it, they would be against it. It's his this bad. supplemental keeps, bill is thing, a kamikaze plane in a box canyon with no exit Oof. headed for a train wreck. Nice. Ooh, wow. If you look at this bill, the bill is not designed to fix this problem. By the way, the single greatest national security threat to America, this right here. I think the odds of a major terrorist attack in the United States are higher today than they've been any time since September 11th. You know what? Because In that spike, how many Hamas terrorists are there? How many Hezbollah terrorists are there? And what are we going to say when they carry out an attack here like October 7th in Israel? This bill is not designed to fix the problem. This bill normalizes 5,000 people a day coming in. 5,000 people a day is over 1.8 million a year. That's called an invasion. By the way, under Joe Biden, we've had 9.6 million. So the great Republican compromises were for two-thirds of Joe Biden's open borders. We'll let in 6 million instead of 9 million. This makes utterly no sense. And there's a reason. Republican leadership is like Charlie Brown with Lucy and the football. And over and over again, they run for the football, and over and over again, Lucy Schumer pulls it away. Ooh, Mitch McConnell's on his back. And Republican leadership lands on their ass. They entered this negotiation saying, we will only do what Chuck Schumer will agree to. He doesn't want to fix this. He wants it to continue. 
So negotiating with Chuck Schumer on securing the border is like putting Hannibal Lecter in charge of a go-vegan ad campaign. <laughs> he might dine on your liver. Say fava beans. With a healthy side of fava beans. Yes! Got our but it's for the not going to remotely do what the suggested objective is. Final point. Bring it home, Tim. Not only is this bill utterly ineffective in fixing the problem, but it's designed to fail. The chances of this bill passing the House of Representatives, I can quantify it mathematically. Ooh. The chances of this bill passing the House are 0.000%. Hmm. zeros. It ain't going to pass. I like those odds. At lunch, we had a vigorous discussion at lunch I yesterday. I asked leadership. Thing. He's talking about lunch now. Why on earth would you be teeing up a vote with every Democrat and 10 or 12 Republicans having tea? that has no chance of passing the House? It's not going to become law. And I get it. Leadership really, really, really wants Ukraine funding. But that doesn't happen unless you get a bill that can pass the House. The only purpose of taking this up is giving Democrats political cover to say, gosh, we would have secured the border, <laughs> but those pesky House Republicans didn't let us. It's a good talking point. Yeah, It's complete baloney, but it's a good talking point. This bill represents Senate Republican leadership waging war on House Republican leadership. True story. It's not designed to secure the border, and it won't secure the border. And I've been telling you guys for weeks... You don't think that gang of good old boys, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, have been trying to bully Mike Johnson every time he goes behind closed doors with them in leadership meetings when the the quad leaders take it on up to the White House and get bullied by all of the senior staffers around Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas and, and try to beat up Mike Johnson? Listen, here's what I'll have to say. And Congresswoman, Chairwoman Stefanik, to kick off our first edition of the show today, said it. She reiterated, Senator Cruz, 0% chance of passing in the Republican House. This won't be a bipartisan defeat. This won't be MAGA Republicans are holding up border security on the country. MAGA Republicans are holding Joe Biden accountable for wanting nothing but Ukraine aid. They don't give a shit about Israel. They don't give a shit about our own borders. They just want to fund the biggest money laundering operation in the history of the galaxy. And that's it. Period. And Joe Biden's becoming increasingly frustrated, so much so that now they're starting to publicly leak that Ukraine must be forced to the negotiation tables at some point in the near future because all the money we sent over there, a quarter of a trillion dollars, believe it or not, is already running out. Perfect. You don't think that uh, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, senior senators on both sides, senior House reps on both sides, blaming Congress, isn't the there there? Well... Noah's favorite California governor. Oh, come on, no. Oh, yes. The American psycho himself, Gavin Newsom, came out to counter this narrative that House Republican leadership and leadership within the Senate might be struggling a little bit with wanting to get in the way of Donald Trump's campaign strategy, which includes a comprehensive solution to what's going on down on the U.S. southern border. He jumped on MSNBC to talk about it. Let's hear him. They won't touch it. They don't want to solve this problem. They want to use it for political purposes. And again, I say this as a border state governor. No one has to introduce me to oh, this really? issue. really? A border state We're governor? the largest port in the western hemisphere hmm. in the state of California. We live this. And I think it is a disgrace what the Republican Party is doing, what Donald Trump is doing. And this is hidden in plain sight. He sent out a tweet or some truth, whatever. Yeah. saying, kill it. Yeah. And these guys are so weak. How I did, so pathetically weak, this Republican Party. 
And the new speaker said, oh, yes, sir, what else would you like us to do? We don't care about America. We don't care about our freedoms and liberties. We care about politics exclusively at the expense of the American people because all we care about is winning for winning's sake. That is shameful. Mm. How does that make you feel, Noah? I, I hate that guy. I just I tune, I tune him out when I start hearing him talk because he's awful. What an absolute fucking disaster that guy is. You know, and it's just silly the way that he kind of shapes it out there. Like Donald Trump is commanding these people to go ahead and, and not vote on border security when all it is is amnesty. It's not border security. The only person that's talking about border security right now is Donald Trump and the people that are running alongside with him, like Tom Homan and, and former administration officials. And when you think about outside the numbers, it's everybody's just trying to bully Mike Johnson into bending the knee so they can agree on this amnesty bill. And, and that's what we're seeing a lot of frustration from Senator Ted Cruz and, you know, some of the more MAGA Republicans that we have in the House of Representatives. We're going to have a bunch of them on the show on Tuesday. So, you know, it's one of those things that we're going to be able to get exactly what's going on. And we're going to get some receipts on, on where we go from here. I am going to read right before we're getting ready to wrap here uh, and jump in with the host of the Monica Crowley podcast. Obviously, it's going to be Monica Crowley. We love it when she comes on the show. Here's that true social post, Noah. When I was president, we had the most secure border in history. Joe Biden has surrendered the border and is aiding and abetting a massive invasion of millions of illegal migrants into the United States. Instead of fighting to protect our country from this onslaught, Biden is unbelievably fighting to tie the hands of Governor Abbott in the state of Texas so that the invasion continues and continues to go unchecked. In the face of this national security issue, public safety issue, and public health catastrophe, Texas has rightly invoked the invasion clause of the Constitution and must be given full support to repel the invasion. Yeah. I agree with him. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, he, he would finish... I will work hand-in-hand with Governor Greg Abbott and other border states to stop this invasion, seal the border, and rapidly begin the largest deportation operation in the history of our country. Those that Biden let in should not get comfortable because guess what? They will be going home. (laughs) I wonder if we're going to see anybody leaving just in advance. Like, yeah, I don't really want to deal with this. You know what? I've also I've I've heard reports out of like New York and Chicago that some of the migrants that were sent there are actually packing it up and at least heading south because I mean it's the middle of fucking winter there. They're like sub zero every day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Talk about not doing your homework. Yeah. Like well, what month is this? Okay, perfect. Let's go to New York. I wish we had some more receipts on what these people were actually promised because it seemed for how they all know where they want to go, whether they have supposedly a sponsor or whatever you know, servitude they're getting sent into. It seems like it hasn't worked out for a lot of them. It seems like the plan was to just drop them in the major metropolitan areas of these huge cities across the United States, and let's see the destabilization go as far as it can go. Yeah, well, that and the census, eventually. We're getting ready to jump in with Monica Crowley, but we're going to listen to our last audio clip of the week, and this was... Senator Chris Murphy, who came out of that leadership meeting, this guy's a Democrat, talking about when we would possibly hear what's going on exactly with the vote in regards to the uh, immigration and amnesty bill. One person inside the Republican Party holds so much power that they could stop a bipartisan bill to try to give the president um, additional power at the border to make more sense of our immigration policy. I would hope that one person isn't so powerful inside the Republican Party uh, to hand Ukraine to Vladimir Putin, oh, but we'll God. find out the answer to that. I'm just going to keep my head down. Um, you know, I'm working with partners who want a deal. Hand 
Ukraine to Vladimir Putin. <laughs> yeah, pull- you better keep your head down after a fucking comment like that because everybody knows you're full of shit. For all these people that say they want Donald Trump to run because he's not a legitimate candidate and he's weak and he's easily going to be beaten by a Democrat, man, it sure seems like they're pulling out every single stop on the planet to make sure that uh, you could tell that they're scared, to say the very least. Well, it's been a wild week, and we've got a, just a little bit more of fun left for you guys. We're going to be sitting with, down with the former Assistant Trade Secretary of the United States. She served during the Trump administration. She also played a very big role in letting everybody have an inside peek of what the last few lives of former President Richard Nixon were as well. We're talking about Monica Crowley. We're about to get ready to jump in with her. But before we do that, let's have one last check-in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.com. Coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She's the former Assistant Trade Secretary of the United States who served during the Trump administration. She also did many, many great works with former President Richard Nixon as well. Always a pleasure to be sitting down and talking with Miss Monica Crowley. Welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. It's great to be back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. I just finished up your latest podcast. It was quite a heater, and uh, we hope that you're ready to bring some of that same commentary on to Steak for Breakfast today. <laughs> always, guys, always. You know, I think one of the things we have to talk about is, is what's going on with President Trump in the primary right now. Obviously, he has had two historic a caucus and a primary event to where, whether it's voter turnout, the amount of Republicans who voted for Donald Trump, the amount of votes he got in total like he did in New Hampshire, breaking a previously uh, held record by Senator Bernie Sanders, etc., they have done this the right way. The campaign and the way it's functioning right now is is not like 2020 and 2016, although they did have their very strong points. It's airtight. It's fiscally sound. It, it's like a well-oiled machine, and he's got some really big Capitol Hill veterans and, and some of the oldies but goodies there working with him, and they've put together something that's, I think, by the end of this nomination process is going to be historic. Yeah, and have you guys noticed no leaks? Yeah. No leaks out of this campaign, unlike 2016 and 2020. Yeah, he has built a real machine here, led by Chris Lasavita and Susie Wiles, who are both outstanding. And then everybody else around uh, them, from Boris Epstein to Jason Miller, and there are so many others who are, at last, totally loyal to President Trump and the America First movement. So you were seeing, you know, a, a real machine moving and people questioned why he announced so early. Remember, he announced like a year and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was like November of 22, I guess, right after the midterms. And people were scratching their heads. But there's always a method to the madness when you talk about Donald Trump. And he wanted to get going early drive a stake in the ground and say, I am running. I am not going to allow the deep state, the uni party, the imperial media. I'm not going to allow any of these forces, lawfare, George Soros prosecutors, uh, Joe Biden to run me out of this thing. I am coming back. And so he drove a stake in the ground. And ever since then, he has just taken off. I mean, they never really went away. But this comeback now is in full swing. And it's delicious to watch. 
No, it certainly is. But, you know, it's not like Donald Trump's getting any help in the media. We've seen some of the conservative, I'm air quoting now, outlets come crawling back over the course of the last couple of months because they can read the writing on the wall. And at some point you have to accept the terms and conditions that Donald Trump, you know, kind of laid out there in November of 2022 that he was going to run for a thir third time and he was going to make sure that this America First movement was well taken care of and that best happens when he's in the White House. But when you see how the counter narratives have already begun, you know, everything from pulling out all the old racist tricks like racist and misogynic and all the other things that they kind of label them with all the way down to them celebrating the lawfare that's been waged against him. How do you see president Trump kind of avoiding a lot of the flack that the media tries to throw at him? We look at it as he's made himself much more presentable and, uh, regain that and re-harness that magic back from 2015 when he was the touchable candidate. He goes to smaller, more intimate events. He gets out there and, and touches with the people. There's always going to be rallies, which are absolutely amazing. But the way he's really been able to get out and hit the ground running, I mean, he's walking into fraternity houses and pizza shops, and you don't see that from a lot of candidates. Number one, because it's not how they're built. Number two, it makes a lot of people who aren't normal, like Donald Trump is, feel really uncomfortable when they have to do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you either have it or you don't. And by it, in, in the political context, is raw, natural charisma and ability to connect with people because you genuinely like people. Um, and, you know, so many politicians are awkward around people or they can't stand people. You know, I think about Barack Obama, who's sort of like the outlier to this. He was able to drive huge crowds because he was an extraordinary figure in American politics first black president, and so on. But that guy could not stand and still cannot stand people. So he did very few retail events. He'd do big speeches and so on, and the crowds would go wild. But he didn't actually like people, and that showed. There was a real elitism to him. Again, he was able to skirt that because, you know, for all these reasons. But the most successful presidents are the ones who genuinely like people and or know how to connect with them. So Ronald Reagan, as an actor, knew how to connect with people both on and off screen. Richard Nixon does not get enough credit for being an excellent retail politician. Bill Clinton, nobody better than Bill Clinton except for Donald Trump, right? Yep. So Trump, Trump is able to forge that connection, whether he's in an ice cream parlor, you know, or a pizza joint in, in you know, rural Iowa. He just, he looks at people, he appreciates them, he genuinely likes them, he looks them in the eye, makes them feel incredibly special, and that goes a long way. On top of the fact he's America first, he's not a uniparty uh, establishment system tool in any way, but you know, your question about the media is a critical one, and you say that you listened to my podcast yesterday. I recommend this last podcast to everybody. Because I ran an old clip from Richard Nixon in the 1980s where he was asked about the media. And he said, look, there's a lot of criticism about the presidency being an imperial presidency where the American president can just go and do what he wants. He said that is not true. There are all kinds of checks and balances built into the American president. Congress can check the president. Supreme Court can check the president, the, the press, the people. They, they're all checks on the president. He said, by contrast, the media has no checks or balances on them. And he said, so I think it's about time we talk about the imperial media. And I thought it was such a brilliant turn of phrase. I had never heard that clip from Nixon before. He and I, I don't think, talked about it when, when I was working for him during his last years. So I have now 
committed to using the phrase the imperial media because it is such a brilliant way of encapsulating how, you know, prior to this point, they did whatever they want, but it was driven by like an ideological bias. Now, the level of activism and intensity on the part of the media is completely beyond anything we've ever seen. The hatred of Donald Trump. The, the good news is Trump feeds off of that. Trump, you know, they've got this, this very interesting symbiotic relationship, the imperial media and Donald Trump. And every single time they go at him, he comes out stronger. That's also true for Jack Smith, the Biden DOJ, uh, the big tech, the globalists around the world. Every time he is hit, he emerges stronger. You know, it's, it's pretty funny that you mentioned that because one of the things I want to touch on, and I'm completely in agreement with what you said, I thought that was, that was such a great part of your podcast when you talked about uh, that clip you played of Richard Nixon. It made me really, I was like sitting there and I closed my eyes. I said, man, if Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon were still around, although their politics do differ a little bit from Donald Trump's, I think his is kind of an evolution of probably both of their legacies. But the fact of the matter is the amount of support he would have in, in a place now where all you have is, you know, the globalists and the warmongers and all the other people who have been president since they've both departed office and, and Donald Trump had been the president a couple years ago. But when you look at the lawfare that's waged against him, that's also something that President Nixon was extremely familiar with. He underwent massive amounts of it and had to take it on, you know, in, in the best ways he could. We all know how, you know, his presidency ended. But at the same time, it looks like Donald Trump's been able to take the experiences that went on during that time and kind of use them to fight back against. Just imagine if Richard Nixon was able to call all of these. I mean, Donald Trump was putting Fannie Willis's credit card statements online today. And, and, and just to be able to have, <laughs> I mean, we live in a much more digital age now, Monica, but just to be able to have that punch back when these people are trying to end your careers on false premises and the way Donald Trump's been able to kind of rise above everything that's going on with them right now. Yeah, we are in a different universe where we have all of these social media platforms and then we have independent media like Steak for Breakfast and the Monica Crowley podcast and other outlets where we can go for the real truth, where it is unadulterated and pure and people have sought us all out for that reason, right? Yeah, I mean, look, Richard Nixon was probably the second modern casualty of the deep state, the first being John F. Kennedy. Correct. Then Richard Nixon with Watergate, and now, of course, all the way through to, to Donald Trump. Um, Trump is completely fearless. Now, Nixon and Reagan were fearless, too, in their own ways and in their own context, but now there are so many different options to punch back, and Trump will just, you come at him, he will destroy you. He won't punch first, but you come at him. Uh, and this is like Nikki Haley, like my mom said the other day. She's like, you know, I love Trump. I voted for him twice. I'm going to vote for him again. I adore him. He's fantastic. She's like, the one thing I can live without is the name calling. Yep. And I go, well, give me an example. And she said, the disanctimonious clip. And I said, <laughs> well, it worked, right? It worked. And that like completely shut up my mom. She was like, yeah, I guess you're right. It worked. It worked. So, you know, now when you pair a fearlessness like we see in Donald Trump and an absolute fighter with all of the, the new uh, levers that he has to pull to fight back against his enemies, man, it is a different world. And I was saying on a previous podcast, I think last week on one of the shows, that the only Republican presidential candidate to have learned from Donald Trump's example and follow in his wake is Vivek Ramaswamy. Yep. So Donald Trump has spent eight years, and I was talking about this again on my show, Donald Trump has spent eight years showing Republicans how it's done. This is how you win. You be fearless, you punch back, 
you call out the bullshit when it comes at you, you put it all online, you make a big thing out of it, and you, you use the names, you weaponize stuff against your enemies, and you just plow forward. Well, again, you look at the current GOP, you know, GOP presidential primary field, they're all gone except for Nikki. Um, but the only one to have learned from that and follow in Trump's wake is the bank. That is disgusting. Now we've got people on Capitol Hill who have learned Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene. They've picked up the mantle and they're running with it, but very few others have. And that to me is a sad commentary on people in our own party who we're relying on to carry this fight. No, it's the truth. But when you look at the other side of the aisle or ones who might as well be because they're just so uh, deeply entrenched in the establishment, Monica, everyone from Pierre Delecto himself, Mitt Romney, down to people like Ken Buck and, and Kevin McCarthy, I think they really do see the writing on the wall. And although they don't want to admit it and they'll go on every talk show and talk about everything but it, I do think the generational change up on Capitol Hill is definitely coming. And I think it's one of those things where the people that have been there for a long time understand that the wool's been pulled back and everybody could see what's going on behind the curtain. And this is not the way that our government's supposed to run. And if Donald Trump gets back in the white house, he's got a lot of people who support him in there who are looking to make those changes to help his legislative agenda get passed through. Yeah, absolutely. That is a hundred percent true. It is a generational thing, but it's also like a uni party thing versus America first. I mean, look at what we discovered this last week with that leaked audio recording involving Carrie Lake and the now yeah. re uh, resigned Arizona GOP chair. I mean, we all sort of know intellectually that this is how politics works, right? Like people want a, a threatening candidate to get out of the race, so they offer them a lucrative job somewhere not to run, etc. Like we all sort of intellectually know this, but when you hear it on tape, you're like, oh, my God, this is so freaking dirty. I can't, you know, it's like right in your face. But the bigger point about that tape is when he says, you know, he's just a messenger. And he says, I'm here on behalf of powerful people back east trying to get you not to run for the Senate. They cannot stand the America First movement. They hate Donald Trump. They hate Kerry Lake. They hate MTG. They hate Matt Gates. They hate you and me. They hate the nonviolent January 6th defendants who've been rotting in prison without due process. Uh, pre-trial detention and the rest, they hate all of us. And so they have mobilized against us. But to your point, I think more and more people are now awake to it. Um, and even on the other side, traditionally Democrat voting blocs, like black voters, Latino voters, they are now being awakened yep. to what's going on because of the illegal immigration crisis. Deep blue cities, now you see these town halls, uh, where the mayor is there or the city council is there and you've got black residents, Latino residents screaming at them because the tsunami of illegal immigrants coming in, draining all their resources, taking over their communities, they've had enough. So we are, you know, we're in this great awakening and I often say whether it's individuals or countries, God has a way sometimes of allowing you to hit rock bottom so that you wake up. And I think maybe this is the point we are at. So I, I still remain hopeful. You know what we do too. And then when you see the rise of populism throughout the world, everyone from Javier Malay more recently, but Victor Orban, you've got Maloney, although we don't love what she does on immigration all the time, definitely bringing a little bit of a populist nature to a place like Italy. And then Donald Trump coming back, it sets up the potentiality to do some really big things next year. Monica, this has been awesome catching up with you again. I wish we could have you on the show every week. Listen, 
if anything ever happens to me, Noah, you're going to have to get her to fill in for a couple episodes as a guest host. Let's do it. We're obviously going to live link your podcast. <laughs> I love it. We're, we're obviously going to live link your podcast in the show description today. And anywhere else you want us to direct our listenership to follow you, we'll be sure to do that as well. Where, where can we find you? Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. Yes, the Monica Crowley podcast, wherever you get your podcast. So all of the Evil Empire platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, <laughs> Stitcher, thank you for linking to it. And then on social media, on Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and through social, I'm at Monica Crowley. Absolutely fantastic. As was this conversation with the host of the Monica Crowley podcast. I didn't really spoil it because I'm going to say it one more time. Monica Crowley, thanks for joining us this week and have a fantastic weekend. Always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Take care. Very busy and to the business week. Noah, what do you think? It was business and businessy and busy. It certainly was. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 320 other editions of the show, just make sure you're following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Find the shows, hit the plus button, follow button. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Also, make sure you're sharing the show in every way, shape, or form that you can, including on social media where you'll find us on Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell, never miss out on any of the great stuff we've got going on here on Steak for Breakfast. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down today. The Republican House Conference Chair, Elise Stefanik, fantastic Steak for Breakfast debut. Not so much for Cash Patel and Rick Grinnell, who are mainstays on this show. We love sitting down with them, Indiana Congresswoman Victoria Sparks, and the host of the Monica Crowley podcast, Miss Monica Crowley herself. You guys all helped make steak great again guys we're heading into the weekend but don't worry because we've got a trump rally on saturday out in nevada in addition to that we've got an absolute banger coming in here on our tuesday editions of the show next week we've got five count them five house republican congress people joining us ralph norman troy nels bob good aaron hochin and anna paulina luna so on behalf of the pod team i'm Ron. noah Later. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic weekend and take care. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti.